0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of the 2nd Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord has given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from a skin disease. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to give death or life that this man sends a word to me to cure a man of his skin disease? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a messenger to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, He would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Are not Avana-Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more, when all he said was, Wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Let's pray. Holy God, we have heard your word, and you still surprise us. May you continue to do so, that we may be equally as obedient to your surprising call. In your name we pray, amen. I'll begin with our final hymn. We will be singing for our third hymn. This is my song. Our bulletin indicates verses one and two. We will be singing all three verses, but I'll remind you at the time. For here and now, as we begin, Thinking about 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, Elisha, serving people, listen to the words of the first two verses of This Is My Song. This is my song, O God, of all the nations, a song of peace for lands afar and mine. This is my home, my country, where my heart is. Here are my hopes, my dreams, my holy shrine. But other lands have sunlight too, and clover. And skies are everywhere as blue as mine. Now back to, back to our readings from Second Kings. It begins in one of these other lands and is a story about an unlikely healing for a very unlikable terrorist who is even more unlikely praised by the author of Second Kings as one useful to God. How can that be? The story in Second Kings 5 is about extremes and exposes our own opinions about extremes. There are extreme sides. There's the famous prophet of God, Elisha, and an enemy general, Naaman. There are people stolen from their homeland who are prophetic. And there's water deemed good by one bad by another, and used by God. Waters at home and waters in enemy territory. The story includes a helpless king, helpless in knowledge, as well as serving people, Syrians and Israeli, who saved the day. Extremes. Each of our extreme characters represent some of our own stereotypes, as well as those of ancient Israel. This is a story of them and us, and invites us to ask, who are we to call them them and we we? In this story, whether we like it or not, all are included because we are all interdependent. Now, given this week, it is my assumption, perhaps wrong, but I dare to assume that after yet another week of dramatic and, in my opinion, traumatic overturns of fairness, the last thing you may want to hear about is interdependence between the us's and the them's. But sometimes scripture mixes these up in our hearts and our minds. Scripture reminds us that God created us in interdependence, for interdependence, needing each other, listening to each other even when we disagree in every way possible except one prophet elijah and general naaman disagreed the convergence of agreement was god sent naaman to elijah naaman as you know listening to suki read the scripture is a general in eram what's now called Syria, he had a mighty reputation. He had gone into battle against Israel more than once and had won. His military prowess did not keep him, however, from disease. Naaman had a problem with a contagious skin disease that he could not fix. And of all people, Naaman is a fixer. Not being able to fix this dreaded, contagious disease vexed Naaman, and a vexed general is generally not a very nice person. I wonder what vexed Naaman more. The disease or the fact that he could not conquer it, control it with brute force? And instead, he was his lame tactics made him feel vulnerable and useless. Nothing he could do could fix it. Control. Naaman lost control. Not good news for a general. And in all honesty, not good news for most of us who do not like losing control. God has a wonderful way of humbling those of us sharing Naaman's vexation, whatever vexes us. But let's go back to the story. The prominent character in this, not the a prominent character in this story is another unlikely. She is an enslaved girl from Israel. She is the one who shared the opportunity for healing with Naaman's wife, put yourself into in her place. Would you let resentment about your own abduction into slavery cause you to withhold healing information for the other, your abductor? I am quite sure that I would have withheld. In her place, I don't know if I could have shown that kind of generous compassion, godly compassion. Now, this young girl, unnamed, with this major role in the story, is but one of four serving people mentioned in the story, giving Naaman a general advice. See the contrast, the extremes. Serving people, general. Who are the advisors? The serving people. She toes, this woman, this, not woman, this young girl in Syria, chose to offer compassion and mercy for her captor instead of spite, which I fear I would have chosen. This girl exhibits a theological generosity that I fear would escape me if our roles were reversed. Theological generosity, understanding God's extreme generosity and calling upon it when I don't want to. I wonder why Naaman, as powerful as he was, even entertained the the preposterous idea of some foreign, defeated country being the source of his own divine healing. Based on the advice from a young girl enslaved in his own household. So back in the day, one of Naaman's conquests in Israel took captives from the defeated country back to Aram, He and others and these captives of war became the victors, enslaved people. Now in this story, Naaman becomes dependent on the guidance of one whom he oppressed and continues to oppress. The voice of the oppressed healing the oppressor. God is good all the time and I need to remember that. The story, Naaman carrying the letter from his own king enters Israel and the general brings a boatload of silver and gold and gifts in order to pay for prompt his healing. And he stands at the gates of the king of Israel, assuming, of course, that's where he was supposed to go. And here servants enter the story again. They are the ones carrying the bulk of this story, which is a repetitive theme with Naaman, reminding us of our interdependence and our need for each other. Elisha sends word. To the king of Israel. That word comes from a serving person. Naaman has to change course outside of his own direction and will. So he redirects his chariots and his soldiers and his horses, and he finds his way to Elisha's humble home. The soldiers the chariots, the gold, the silver, ten garments are important because Naaman expects to be treated like the mighty one, that he is a warrior, a commander, a man of status, extreme power, a dominator. And he wants to prove that with all of his stuff. I doubt he kept his attitude of contempt against Israel far from his countenance. It was probably writ large. And then, being shoved around with his entourage by a weakling king to a useless, in his opinion, prophet, did not make his countenance any better. At this point, it is fair to assume that the general expected some honoring and homage due to his grand status, and Elisha will have none of it. Elisha instead sends a messenger, yet another serving person, conveying God's message. It does not come directly from Elisha. The elevated person, again, in the story is the serving person. And this serving person gives instructions to Naaman about dipping in that Jordan River right over there seven times. Now, Suki read the story. You know Naaman's response. It's At this point, it's fair to assume that the general expected far more than the measly little Jordan River. And here, Naaman remembers the king's words to him. Do you think I'm God? Well, Naaman kind of thought he was. And occasionally... You and I do. So here we are. It, um, well, Elijah's serving person, not Elijah himself, goes to Naaman with instructions. And Naaman is crestfallen. But this, Naaman aside, it, 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 this does remind me of something Jesus said. I'm quite sure he said if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. I believe he said that in both Matthew and Mark. Back to Naaman. He's furious now, absolutely infuriated that he's being offhandedly treated. No pomp, no circumstance, no honoring, no reception of these mighty gifts because he wants to pay for his healing. He's at the end of his tolerance for interdependence. He doesn't want it. He wants power, control, and healing now in his name instantly. So he lets it rip. He chastises the Jordan River. He chastises the prophet in any pretense that the Lord God could do anything at all. Why is he here? Why isn't he back home with his own rivers, with his own people? And why is he here? He questions everything. Why well, here in this place of all places. If the Lord God was mighty and all-powerful, surely this could happen back home. And surely the prophet of God would even come out here and wave his arms and show some drama and some good religious form. I'm quite sure none of us have ever behaved like this, throwing interdependence to the wind so that our own egos can be bolstered certainly it's never happened to me. Now, Elijah was far too smart to enter into this kind of drama. Perhaps Elisha even had compassion and sympathy for Naaman, and he understood the powers working together, the Lord God Almighty, an enemy, and interdependence. He knew all that was necessary was for the general to simply obey the simplest instruction. Wash in that river, that Jordan, dip seven times, simple and direct. It took one more serving person to help the story along. Another socially powerless person who motivated Naaman with the simplest of all suggestions. General, if if that prophet had asked you to do something terrifically hard, you would do it, would you not? So here's something simple, why don't you just give it a go? Naaman did probably swearing and kicking his boots, but Naaman obeyed. God was not distracted by Naaman's offensive reactions, nor is God offended by our own. Naaman came out of that Jordan River clean, restored, and shocked. What Naaman learned is not important to you and me. What is important is that if Naaman, the most unlikely and resistant person ever, could learn anything about how much more can make, how much more the Naaman can we take away from this story? Do our resistances stop God? No. Does our zealousness stop God? No, but we might be redirected occasionally. And when that redirection comes, don't let that stop. Naaman had to face his own turmoils, external and internal. He needed to face his need for healing, which he really did not want to face. He needed to face his own rage at the situation and he raged right through it, which is a great way of facing rage. He needed to face his own despair and blame me. And he needed to face a way forward that he thought was ridiculous. Some of his story of finding healing may sound familiar to you. It does to me. Interdependence started at the beginning of creation. Humans with, not against, nature. Siblings saw the destruction of working against each other after working against each other. That helped them to realize, no, we need to work with each other and with all nations as well. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, in Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Is there a possibility that young girl in Syria had that in her mind when she offered a blessing of healing to Naaman, a way of healing? Early Christians imagined heaven populated with what we read at the very beginning, a great multitude that no one can count from every nation tribe people and language i call that interdependence jesus wasn't just the son of ancient abraham nor was jesus just the king of jews jesus was son of adam creation ground from which god drew life Adam, ground, representing all humanity. Now, Jesus even mentioned Naaman in Luke chapter four. He said there were also many with skin diseases in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleared, was cleansed, except Naaman, the Syrian. Our Jesus embraced a Roman centurion, a Canaanite woman, and her daughter, a woman at the well from the other side of the tracks. And the one who helped benefit the person beaten up and left for dead was also a Samaritan whom Jesus called good. But Jesus's disciples did not. Naaman epitomizes the outsider. I'm going to close with a post from Dan Clendenen in his weekly Journey with Jesus, a wonderfully progressive source. He writes, more important than any of our external differences, even though these are powerful and important, is our shared humanity. And so we commit ourselves to honor and protect The inherent dignity of every human being, end quote, including the Naamans in our life, because we need each other. Interdependence. To God be the glory. Amen.